This episode of the Chicken Nick Podcast is brought to you by our friends at The Beanery. All of the coffee, drinks, and beverages that you could ever imagine are available for you at their three locations, soon to be four. But right now, it's Papillion, Gretna, and Ashland. Drive-throughs, walk-ins, whatever you want. Paul and the gang will treat you right. They just sent me a bag of beans. Never thought I would say that phrase 10 years ago, but, man, I just had a cup of coffee on Sunday morning, and it was delicious. They roast them themselves. They'll bag them. They'll send them to you, and you can brew your own coffee with the Beanery Beans. It's the Beanery, serving people coffee. Coach Mickey, Matt Chick, thanks for doing this. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Oh, Well, we come at you uh, with Mickey's for after uh, Mickey's first loss. Yeah, and again, the Oklahoma one doesn't count. Mickey Joseph now two and one as the head coach at Nebraska. Doesn't it kind of feel like like that Oklahoma game's like, eh, come on, right? Nah, that game, no, but I mean that wasn't but, Mickey's team. Come on, like someone asked you to run a marathon and you had twenty four hours to train. So, right, eh, we'll give you a few months, give then me, we'll judge you. Right, Never. right, totally agree, totally agree. First first loss in the Mickey Joseph era. Sun came up the next day. We got a lot of things to discuss, my friend. Lots of things. There are a lot of things uh, to discuss. Uh, Purdue just ran another play while I just opened the the show. 101 plays. That was insane. They had the ball for 42 minutes. I can't wait. So later, we're recording this on a Sunday. Later on today, I'm going to talk to Bo because I saw John Bishop had a tweet. A hundred, it's... The most plays a Nebraska defense has seen since Iowa State ran two, ran 102 plays against Bo and company in 2007. I got to ask what it even feels like to go against 100 plays. And then someone responded, though, because I put that on Twitter uh, last night. It said, Purdue ran 101, 101 plays. Nebraska ran 52 plays. And then someone responded, this was Nate. He, he responds with, hmm, less <laughs> points per play. Nebraska, 0.712. Purdue, 0.426. Points per minute of possession. Nebraska, 2.139. Purdue, 1.007. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's like, it's like bellying up to a blackjack table. The guy in the next to you has a stack of $150,000. You have a stack of like $5,000. You won it on one hand. He's been there for four hours. He's like, but I've won more money than you per hand. It's like, well, it's still got a long ways to go, dog. You would have scored more points had you run more plays. You, you ever right. consider that? Coach, if you considered running more plays, it gives you a better chance. You know? It's ridiculous. Yeah. It is ridiculous. But, um... Where do you want to begin? You want to dive into that? What do you want to talk about? Let's talk a little uh, Purdue. We do have the uh, Mickey Joseph interview coming up here in a little bit, which was recorded late last week. So it was mm. recorded pre-Purdue, but nothing really changed. It's not they didn't get blown out. You know, there's still momentum for Mickey. So there's a lot uh, baked in there that we'll we'll get to. But I would like to start with Purdue, yeah, and just where 
they're at uh, with Nebraska. We don't need to spend too much time on it. But, uh, again, there was, a, there was a lot there last night where it's like, gosh, linebackers and offensive line, like nothing. It just was not good. And it makes you just want to detonate most of it and just say you got to start over no matter who's in it. There's just a – I don't know if it's talent or coaching. Rayola's t- Donovan Rayola was a guy that you screamed about in such a way that made me think there's no way that this is this is that my this fault. Is not going to be good. Yeah, this was you when Donovan Rayola was hired, or maybe we were just making a joke about it. Donovan Rayola. <laughs> <laughs> what what could have possibly prompted me know. to do that? I, don't I really don't context. know. I really don't know. Yeah, you're right. Like as you watch that game, um. You kind of came to the realization that there's only so much you can fix if you're Mickey Joseph, right? Like there, there's just a a ceiling to what you can flip, alter, put in the best position to win. And it seems like Mickey has maximized almost everything that he could potentially maximize, but you cannot fix a bad offensive line. You, it's now for the defense, and now again, here comes Nick Bob, Barrett Root apologist. Like, Reimer was out, Henrich gets knocked out, knocked out in the first half, and, you know, maybe those... He only played like 644 seconds in that. <laughs> no, Nick! Yeah, I mean, fans, obviously it's been, I think, whatever, 644 days or something like that exactly, but... Thank you, Nick Henrich. I love, it's just... So, so there's, there's a, you know, when your two starting linebackers go out, they're already thin there. It's going to hurt your defensive line. I mean, think about the fact, Schick, Aiden O'Connell threw the ball 54 times. And so let's call it with, with scrambles and everything. There were probably 60, around 60 dropbacks, zero sacks, zero. So Mathis, in fact, does not have sacks. Boy, I tell you, you know, was there a... Was there a worse? I'm going to put this on the poll. I'm going to put it on the poll. Was there a worse song ever written than your song about O'Shawn Mathis getting sacks? No. It's one of the most inaccurate songs of all time. When the fans start yelling, you see Garrett Nelson and a big dude in your face. It's O'Shawn. Better not act tough, cause Mathis will kick your butt. A black shirt is what he's wearing. Left tackles just can't stop staring. O'Shawn. You and Garrett Nelson got the quarterbacks yelping. Trev Valbert's tried to warn me, but that rust they got me. Ooh, O'Shawn Mathis. Wanna make 90,000 new friends? Well, smash them, smack them. Hit them with the swim move and sack them. Try to hang a banner. Caleb Tanner, get ready, get set, blitz like a turbo jet. I'm tired of magazines saying black shirts aren't the thing. Take the average Husker fan and ask them that. The black shirts are back. So, Huskers, yeah. Huskers, yeah. defense got a good pass rush. Hell, so, rush it, rush it, rush it, rush it, rush it. Rush that quarterback. Mathis got sacks. Okay. So many of that. Okay. The black shirts are are gone and not returning this year. So that let's just start there yeah, with the black. The magazine saying the black shirts aren't the, aren't a thing. Yeah, they aren't a thing they are anymore. Done. It's not a thing anymore. I'm tired of magazines saying black shirts aren't the thing. So many inaccuracies. You know, my wife last night as we were watching the game had the audacity to look at me and go, "You should have done a song about Trey Palmer." I was like, "You know." You know 
Thanks, Kim. Thanks. That's your big takeaway. Thanks, Thanks Thank Kim. You appreciate so that. Much. Really, really appreciate that. You know, I really do. But it's uh, but no, I mean, fifty-four pass attempts, zero sacks, just no disruption. To be honest, that defense, it that last night looked a lot like the Georgia Southern game, the North Dakota game, the Oklahoma game. There right. was a missed tackles, guys running you know, untouched to the second level, wide receivers running wide open. Charlie Jones is Jerry Rice. Like I, I it's the tackling was was just not good across the board. It was uh there was there was a regression there defensively because every time Nebraska got a air quote stop, it seemed like it was more Purdue stopping themselves than anything else. Yeah, drop passes, inaccurate throws. Um, the third down and 11 where it's like, okay, if they stop them here, Nebraska's going to win this game. Yes. I mean, you just felt that. Nebraska's going to win this game. If they, they got the hurt, ball back, they were going to score. It just it. You knew you it. missed the extra point. It just felt like it was going to happen and then it didn't. So, yeah, I mean, we go back to Big Ten, line of scrimmage league. Nebraska needs to get better on the line of scrimmage. That's where they were great is along the lines of scrimmage. Yeah. And this is where they're awful. It's where they're awful, and it's it's where your margin for error shrinks so drastically where Casey Thompson overthrows his receiver in the end zone. Casey Thompson throws two picks. There's your game because yeah. you can't afford, with your lack of winning the line of scrimmage, you can't afford those mistakes when you're losing that battle every single day. Well, the, the rushing yards – and listen, you can play this game and get yourself into trouble, but I feel like it's valid to do the whole, well, if you take away this, think about Nebraska had 122 yards rushing against Purdue. You take away the Trey Palmer reverse, kind of a gimmicky play, and Trey Palmer is apparent. I mean, Trey Palmer's on, a, a, on another planet right now. We need to talk about him. You take away Casey Thompson's 31-yard scramble at the end of the first half, which is kind of a weird play. Yeah, it's like out-of-system plays. Yes. Right? Uh, Ramir, Ramir ran a draw. Ramir Johnson got a draw to start that, uh, that drive to end the second quarter, and he got 17 yards. So those you take away those, that's 108 of Nebraska's 122 rushing yards, which basically tells you when they handed the ball to the running back, they got 14 yards rushing for the game. It's pretty good, though. It's not bad, you know. You got to hand it to him. Just pancaking people everywhere. Yeah, it's better than zero. You ever th- considered that, Nick? Jerkstore.com. But yeah, so uh, you're right. It's just you're kind of watching it, and you go, Mickey. Not sure how you fix those things. Um, other than other this team, you know, like the, I don't. You know what's weird is I don't want to go. I don't want to go overboard on the effort thing. Because there was a lot of that after the game. It's like, you know what I love the most about this team is the effort. And it's like, I would say effort wasn't the issue under Frost. More often than not, they were playing hard. Their problem was execution and dumb mistakes. I think where the effort conversation is valid is considering where this team was a month ago. We're recording this on October 16th. On September 17th, Oklahoma came to town like, you kind of felt like this team had a lot of reasons to throw in the towel, and they didn't. So if we want to start, like, I just, I want to, like, maybe I'm, I'm splitting hairs here. When we talk about, like, praising effort, like, Frost teams played hard outside of, like, the very end here. So I don't want to paint, be revisionist, like, Frost teams, they were, they were soft, they never play hard. It's like, ah, that's not really true. 
where the effort thing is is admirable is this team had a, had a lot of reasons to quit and they haven't. There's an energy and enthusiasm with this team that you don't see, and winning helps that. Yeah. I mean, back to back conference wins helps some energy, helps in practice, and led to when you see the point spread of 13, 14 points. And I'm in a little pick 'em ball. I was like, this, well, there's no way they're going to lose by more than two touchdowns. But then it starts, and you go, okay, this isn't going to be good. And then with the game flow, you understood they're just as good in terms of skill position oh, players. Yeah. As Purdue, right? It's won or lost along the lines of scrimmage. And to your point about, you know, he's maximizing what this team can do, and you say, well, Scott Frost lost a lot of close games too. Yeah, but this just felt a little different. Totally it agree. Just did well, it? Just did. Do you do you think uh, one of the things that is striking is when you contrast Mickey Joseph, and we've talked about this before, but I want to revisit it. One of the things that is striking is. When you contrast Mickey Joseph on the sidelines with what Frost looked like on the sidelines for his time here, it's like, you know, Dirk had a tweet. I don't have it in front of me. Something like, man, Mickey Joseph is down coaching his off. It's a shame that his that Frost didn't do the same. You know, like Mickey, his emotion, his he's talking to guys, he's coaching them up, he's giving five. Like it is. You talk about there's like an emotion and a vibe, and it's like it it starts like. You know, there's that whole saying, like, you take on the personality of your head coach. And, like, I think they are doing that with Mickey right now. Yeah, I think the uh, uh, under Frost was a zombie, and Mickey Joseph has a pulse. Yeah. And that leads to a pretty good heartbeat for the team. So, yeah, I don't think there's any uh, question about it. Quick time out from this award-winning podcast, an award just to what we've given to ourselves. But talk about the beanery. And, you know, hold on, let me just say this. Nothing goes with your morning commute like a cup of coffee from the beanery. Nothing goes better with Husker Sports than Fairberry. <laughs> okay, we, we will get a clean one of that from Matt Cody. Just <laughs> Okay, I've already derailed. I'm, I'm sorry. Totally fine. I'm, I'm totally sorry. But it's true. Nothing goes better with your morning commute, a little afternoon pickup, whatever, then some coffee from the beanery, and they got more than just coffee. They got uh, hot coffee. They got some cold brew coffee. They got smoothies. They got tea. They got yeah. They they got uh, Brody breakfast sandwiches. <laughs> hey. Yes, Brody, right down the middle of the field. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going. I with didn't that, either. I'll totally just pass the ball Brody. to you now. Okay. Yep. Great. You gave me give you nothing. nothing to follow that with. Nothing goes better with Husker Sports. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. That's it. Uh, again, so many great things you can get at the Beanery. We always tell you, support those who support us. Doesn't it make you feel good to know you're supporting someone who, you know, yeah, you want to su support someone who maybe sides with your political beliefs or your values and things like that. But what about someone who supports your favorite podcast? What do you mean, what podcast? This one. You know what we meant. Gretna oh. Papillion and Ashland's Community Coffee Shop. It's Nebraska's Coffee Shop. It's the Beanery. Gretna, Papillion, and Ashland are the locations. And a new one coming soon at 168th and Giles. It's the Beanery, serving people coffee. We're a little tight on time today. We do want to eventually get to the polls, but we do have a, an interview with Mickey Joseph that uh, I recorded with Big Ten this morning, Sirius XM 372. And because of scheduling and when we taped it, I was the only one who was available to record it. 
for Sirius XM. And so, you know, we'll play it here. It's about 20 minutes in length. And, you know, there's a lot of, some background stuff and stuff about um, Trev, his relationship with Trev, and also about whether or not he would consider staying if he's not picked. Like, there's tried to ask some pointed questions and just see how he would respond. And perhaps it's a little easier for someone who's not in the trenches, the day to day, right? In yeah. the trenches uh, to ask those types of questions. But we'll see. Um, here's, here it is. And the first question I asked Mickey was what has impressed you most about the team? Just the grit that they're putting out there, just the, just the toughness that they're putting out there and the physicality that, that they're playing with right now and um, determination. They're a very determined group right now. Why do you think this team has responded so positively to you, the staff, your coaching style? I think, first of all, the, the assistant coaches and administrations have done an unbelievable job of helping with the transition. And I think the kids understand, you know, what I want what I want to see in them. But the but it goes back to the coaches, you know, believing in what I want on out of an administration. And and, and we're, we're going to be a physical football team. And I think that we have a really good relationship with our players. I think it, it's open doors for all assistant coaches. They understand that we really care about them, put our arms around them. And, but, and we coach them hard. We coach them hard. Don't get us wrong. We coach them hard. But they also know we care about them. So they're going to give that extra effort when they know that. How do you draw that line and walk that line between coaching them hard, being their friend, but not a player's coach type oh, type of coach? Well, whenever they're friend and they understand that, you know, we 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 more of a, a coach than if we got to be that uncle or we got to be that dad, we can be that. But they know we're not friends. That's one thing they understand. But we coach them hard, and everybody gets coached hard. So when they see me coach Trey Palmer hard and Casey Thompson hard, they understand that they're going to get coached hard. Because sometimes I got to coach Luke harder than I have to coach Miles. But he see me coaching Luke hard, okay? Because put it like this: nobody gets a pass. Nobody gets a pass if you if you if you're not right. If you're not right, you don't get a pass. So the coaches, you know, so the coaches. If we if we do something wrong, trust me, they saying something to us. And 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 that's the cap. That's what you want within a, um, a family. You want you want criticism that we all can criticize. But at the end of the day, we pull in on the same side of the road. Who are some of the biggest influences in your coaching style from your past? Well, right now, you know, I, I, I will start with with Elsie Cole, the guy that gave me my first job. And then I spent I spent five years under um, under Ed Ogeron and my mentor, Jerry Sullivan, helps me out a lot. Um, you know, Joe Dickinson. You know, I have a lot of guys I've been on. I've been under some really good head coaches, Daryl Day at Nickel State, Jay Hobson at Alcorn State, Project Fives at Grambling, you know, Daryl Day at Nickel State. So I've been a, I've been a I've been a part of a really some really good staff, some really good head coaches. And you take something from all of them, but the guy that really influenced me more than anybody is, is Coach Osborne. You know, I get to meet with him every Monday at 10:15, you know, and he tells me what he sees and what he thinks. He always says, Mickey, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I see this and and I respect his opinion because he was a big reason why I came to Nebraska and he was a big reason why I came back to Nebraska because I know that he wanted to see this this program get back on track. Those conversations with Coach Osborne and I've had a few of those but nothing like you probably have uh, minds from the media perspective. What what are those like and what does he say to you? How much of it's X's and O's? How much of it is just how you coach? Well, you know, basically it's just, you know, how to handle situations and, 
and he and you know he'll tell me like you're handling this situation real real good right now and and then it's x's and o's and you know he wants it he wants us to tackle he likes he wants to be physical and he knows i know this program was built on being physical and he likes that but i think he enjoys coming up you know talking to me i'm 54 now when he met me i was 19 you know but he's part of he's part of the reason that i'm able to sit here and interview with you today and sit in this seat because of him because of some of the things that that he was doing back in the days that we're doing now and he was a he was a true player coach he was a guy that you all you know people say oh he's intimidating because he looks you straight in the eyes and he don't move but with me you know i i i had a great relationship with him we didn't agree all the time what was going on but at the end of the day i know he was the coach and i respect that and today i respect that how did a kid from louisiana decide you know what i'm going to the middle of the country well, it was more my mama decision. You know, it came down between Oklahoma and, and, uh, and Nebraska. And my, mom, my mama thought, you know, Barry and I was going to be friends. You know, she, she knew Coach Oz was going to step in and be that father figure. And, and so she was pushing for Coach Osborne and pushing for Nebraska. And, and, and I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't understand it at the time. But, you know, after getting here and, and loving the place, I understood why she did it. When did you know you wanted to coach? I think I know I wanted to coach when I was out in Hamilton playing with the Tiger Cats in the CFL. And I was coming, coming back to the States and, you know, I, I tried a nine to five job. And then I started working at um, Omaha North with Herman Coleman, giving my first high school job. And that's when I knew I wanted to coach. And then from there I went to Wayne State and then the journey began. The journey began. Part of that journey, and I was reading about this, about your coaching background, you were a seventh grade history and gym teacher at an all-boys school in New Orleans. And then Hurricane Katrina hits. The school has to relocate hours away, and your role changed drastically. If you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that experience, how it shaped you as a coach and a person. Well, it, at that time, you know, you, 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 we're getting ready. We're getting ready for the number one team in the state. You know, we had a pretty good jamboree game. That's the first opening game in, 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 in New Orleans when you play like a half a game played 12 minute, 12, 12 minute halves. And, and we meeting up on Saturday and, and it's like, whoa, that hurricane's coming, but it looked like it's gonna turn. So we, 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 we're practicing. So when I get off the field, I go in and my cousin Terry, who was at Tennessee at the time, and he said, hey, turn the TV on, that thing's coming right at y'all. And I'm looking like, ooh, it really is. So at the time we thought it was gonna turn, but now we know it's gonna hit us. So we tried to tell all the kids to get out some of the kids didn't have any resources to be able to get out, not enough money. So they didn't get out. They went down to the uh, convention center, which was a really terrible place at the time. A lot of stuff was going on there, so they'd seen a lot. Then I get a phone call for Danny um, Walford, because at that time, I was still living in Oklahoma, because um, I was at UCF before that. So I still was living in Oklahoma, and I had my house there. So I was at my house in Oklahoma, and that's when I got the call from Danny saying, hey, we got to go find the boys. So we all got on uh, airplanes wherever we had all the coaches and we met in Dallas, We met in Dallas and um, we ventured out to go to go find them. And there's 196 boys in the school before Katrina. We found 96 and we went to Niceville, Florida, Campton Pucci, which was owned by the University of Florida. It was their 4-H camp. And Danny, Danny Walford was our CEO. So he set that up and we brought the kids there. I think we got there in uh, October. And, and we kept them there until May. And it was hard because it was seven days a week. You know, you didn't get any breaks, you know, and, you know, parents parents were trying to come, but some of them was 
located in, in Houston, didn't have enough money, didn't have transportation. So they trusted us with their kids. And um, the Design Street Academy with Oscar Heather and and all the all the guys that worked there, you know, it was a it was a great opportunity to grow as a person, you know, because you had your own kids at the, at the same time, but you knew these kids really needed you, and that was the first time they ever was out the, the city of New Orleans, and you got them in Camp Timpucci, and it was a lot, it was a lot, but it was nothing that you couldn't handle, because you always say God never gives you any more than what you can handle, so you had to have a lot of faith. It was a Christian school. We went to from chapel, you know, once a week, but it, it was a great opportunity. And to this day, those, those kids are, are, are good citizens, you know, the, the, uh, the Angelo Peterson and LaVar Edwards, you know, they went on to go to LSU and, and went on to play pro football, but it was, it was good. It was good kids, you know, it was good kids. And they grew from it because at the end of the day, I was, I don't know if I would have did it as a seventh grader. We had seven graders, you know, that was away from home, you know, and, um, it was a tough, it was a tough situation, but we made the best out of it. We got to go to the beach all the time. And, you know, they, they worked, they went to school up until one o'clock that we did football activities in the afternoon. We played basketball, we ran track. And um, by the time baseball started, we was back, back in Louisiana. Wow. Mickey Joseph joining us here. You mentioned your faith playing a role in that. What kind of role did your faith play in coming to Nebraska and during these last 10 months? Well, you know, when, when the opportunity presented itself, you know, it was just, you know, talking it over with family and, and, and making sure that it was the right move. And, and, and it was a no brainer to me. It was a no brainer to me to come back and, and help Scott get this back on track. Like I said, I believed in what he was doing, you know, so that's the reason I came back and, you know, sometimes you take a leap with faith, but I, I knew the resources that this university had, and I know the fan support that this university had, and I know you can help get back on track, you know, with a player here, a player there, you know, and, 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 and beefing up this position. So I came back here to work. I didn't come, I didn't come back here to be the head coach. I came back here to be assistant head coach to, to Scott. And but you, you we understand this profession, you know, and, and when this profession, to be a good coach, you got to control what you can control. You can't control what you can't control. You know, so coming back here, I thought it was the best move um, for me and, uh, and my family. You didn't come back here to be the head coach, but you are right now at, at Nebraska. How often do you find yourself thinking about becoming the permanent head coach? Well, I really, you know what? I really don't think about it because I, I, I'm, a, I'm a realist and I understand what I have to do to get this job and I have to win. So I take one game at a time. I take one game at a time and, you know, and like I said, I control what I can control. I can't control what they're going to do with the head coach position. You know, if you if you don't win another one or you win, you win all of them, I can't control what they want to do. That's not my decision. Only thing I can control right now is getting the boys ready, you know, this week for Purdue, making sure my staff's ready for Purdue, and then taking this team to Purdue and trying to play well. That's what I can control. I always, I always look at things from the balcony, not the basement. You know, like I said, I'm a realist and I understand. I, I understand this profession. To that point, because you mentioned we got to win, right? If I want this job, I got to win. Do you look at it and say, gosh, bowl game, right? Like, it, is there a minimum you feel? How are you going to evaluate your own success toward well, the end of the year? I, I, I'm telling you, it's just my brothers are not going to allow me to do that. They're not going to do it. They, we don't talk about next week. We talk about Purdue. They, they you know, Vance, Terry, Sammy, and Derek, they've been really good me right now because we don't have many friends in this profession we have us and we and we take each other opinion you know strongly so when they talk to me they talk to me one at a time 
and and control what you can control. And they really helped me, you know. They they call me, they call me in the morning, I call them, we talk to each other. You know, somebody talks to somebody every day, you know, and we, and, we, and so we're really tight. So they make sure they keep me grounded, keep me focused, and don't let me drift off just and, and listen to, you know, block, just block out the noise. We don't worry about what's going to happen next week. We worry about this week and then get this week done, then you move on the next week. Because that's the only thing we can control right now. How do you do that? How do you focus on getting this team ready to prepare and play while also knowing that if you do a good enough job, that interim tag could go away? How do you do that? Well, just come in here and work every day. Get here in the morning and, you know, be here with the kids. Be here when the kids get here, you know, because we practice in the morning. So get here sometimes at 6, sometimes at 6.30. You know, but get here early, get here with them and meet them in the hallway. You know, good morning, coach, and watch them get their breakfast. Everybody's got to weigh in and go eat breakfast in the morning. That's a that's a requirement here that we're going to do that. But um, I, I, I wish I could think about it, you know, and, and but we don't, you know, because we know what we have to do. We already know what we need to do. So there's nothing to think about. You know, because I think if you chase two rabbits, you catch none. And that's the way I look at it. I'm not chasing two. I'm just chasing one. And the one we chase it right now is Purdue. Mickey Joseph joining us. Now that you've assumed the interim role and are clearly a candidate, do you ever, does your mind ever go to a place where you would have to decide whether you'd want to remain with the program regardless of the decision Trev makes? Well, right now, you know, that we'll make that decision once once I once I get there, you know, that's like I said, that's down the line. We'll make that decision once I get there. I'll give I'll give with my brothers, I'll give with my family, and we'll discuss that with you know, because now I have to do what's best for my family. You know, and, and people always, you know, say, you know, oh stay, stay, stay. Well, you know, but you got to do what's best for your family because they, you know, they do what what they need to do, then we know we do what we need to do. But at the end of the day, you, you do what's best for your family. And it's going to, you know, you might have to come to that decision. But right now, we're not looking that far. We just worry about getting ready for Purdue. But I'm sure when it gets to that time, one thing I can do, I can make tough decisions. And, and, and moving is not a problem. If you look at my resume, we can, we can always move. What's the toughest decision you've ever had to make? The toughest decision I ever had to make was... Forgiving my mom for making me come to Nebraska because I was I was so upset with her and it, and I had to say you know what she did it for a reason but that was tough that was tough because you you, you had it strong in your mind that you wanted to you wanted to what hey I want to make sure I want to go where I want to go but that was the hard thing you know and and I was talking to one of my kids Paula Gates this morning and he was saying the same thing we had something in common because his mom did the same thing to him you know so when things didn't go right you kind of blamed your mom. But mom knows best. Mom has that inner gut feeling. So mom knows best. So that was the toughest decision. Just like, you know what? I'm just going to forgive my mom and I'm going to ride this out and make the best out of it. Was that a Barry versus Tom thing? Like you really wanted to play for Barry, huh? Yeah, I wanted to play for Barry. <laughs> Barry, Barry was more Barry was more a little loose on the loose side. You know, like, you know, but then when you then when you got here, you 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 know, Coach Osmo was no nonsense and you still but he but he still let you be you. He he never tried to change me as a person. And that was trying to change. I was I was different. I was different than Steve Taylor. I was different than Cleet Blakeman, Jerry Kadelsky. I was a different. I was a different dude. I was I was from the you know from New Orleans, you know. So I, I was a little bit more vocal, you know, with, with, with what I had to say, and I didn't keep much on my chest because where we from, you say what's on your mind, and sometimes it's not the best thing to do. And I learned that, you know, like can't have poor impulse control. 
you know. So and then, like you say, you know, just just making that decision, but learning every day that I'm on the job here, learning every day and surrounded by really good people, you know, and that, and that makes it easy when you're surrounded by good people. Two last thoughts here and appreciate your time, your relationship with Trev. How would you describe it? What's it like working for him? Well, you know, Trevor and I were teammates, you know, t- yep. teammates. But I, I think we, you know, we, we, we're friends, you know, like, you know, friends because we were teammates. But also we have the business relationship also. And my and Trev understands that I would never stand in his way of what he needs to do with this head coach's search. Because at the end of the day, I said Nebraska deserves a, a nationwide search because it's Nebraska. You know, it's Nebraska. You got to see who's the right fit. You know, you got to see who's the right fit because you got to be the right fit to come in here. You know, it's, it's, this is this a unique place, but it's, it's a unique sign that you got to understand the ins and outs. And I think that's that's one advantage I do have that I understand the ins and outs. But me, Trevor and I have a great relationship and we have a, um, great talks when we talk and we can be we straight up with each other. And if he has a question, he don't hesitate. He can ask me. And um, I enjoy going to meet with Trevor on Sundays. I enjoy going to meet with him because you, 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 you're meeting with an athletic director that has played the game. And that's that's the big thing. So many, so many athletic directors have never played and they just look at the business part. But he can see the ins and outs of the football team and he can see that, you know, that they got that they get better. They're playing with more energy. He can see that. And he supports me on every decision that I that I make. And if it's a decision that he thinks I shouldn't make, he usually tell me and I would and I don't make it because I respect his opinion. Last thing before I let you go, there's been a lot of chatter and questions about how good certain jobs are once they come open. And the Nebraska job, it's come open a lot and it's changed a lot over the last 10 to 20 to 30 years. In 2022, how good is the Nebraska job? What's the potential for it? I think it's, I always say this, it's a, it's, it's a sleeping giant that, you know, the location the local will be located at. You got to be. A, you got to be a national recruiter. But it's a sleeping giant that people around us don't want it to wake up. Because once it wakes up and it gets back, go, it gets back going. Everybody know game over. Game over. We have the best fan base in the country. We have resources. Now we just got to get this thing back going. And they know once they wake up, once this giant wake up. Here comes the 80s. Here comes the 90s. And that's been a long time ago since all that happened. But it's capable. It's still one of the top jobs, I think, in America. I think it's still one of the top jobs because of the fan base, because of the resources. You know, but you got to get here. You got to work a little different. You know, you got to recruit a little different. You got to you got to find the kids that can come up here and, and live in Lincoln, Nebraska. And, and there's enough kids out there that you can. But you got to work. You got to work. You got to put time into recruiting. You got to make sure you got put. You got to get the right coaches in here, you know. And, and right now, I think we have a really good set of coaches right now that believes in what we're doing and know, believe in what I what we want to do as far as recruiting. And, and it's got to be nationwide. But you got to work. When you sit in this seat, you got to work. A national championship is still realistic in Lincoln. Absolutely, absolutely, it's still realistic. Just you know, you don't know when it's going to happen, but you can get there. You can get there, you know, and I, I'm just going back to winning the national championship at LSU. You know, I think they were, what, 10 years out from, from winning one. But the way we the way we did it, the way we put it together, you know, we went nine and four, we went 10 and three, then we went 15 and 0, you know. But then you went five and five and six and six. You know, what have you done for me lately? And that's 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 part of this. That's that's what I'm saying. You got to you got to understand this profession when you're a coach. 
you can't you can't assume that you're the smartest guy on the block. You can't assume this is not going to happen. You got. I always learned this from Coach Mack, who was our, our special teams coordinator at LSU. See it from the balcony, Mickey. See it from the balcony, and I see everything from the balcony. And he taught me that during the COVID year to see things from the balcony because I didn't always see it from the balcony. I always saw it from the basement, where I wanted to see it from. But now I look at everything from the balcony. Mickey Joseph, head coach in Nebraska, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, best of you. luck this weekend. Thanks for sharing the time. Thank you. Go Big Red. All right, so there's uh, 20 minutes with Mickey Joseph. What are the initial takeaways you had from the, the interview where I, I just thought he was really good and, and very open? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing how he, he is a good balance of, like, he'll give you the cliche stuff, but he'll also give you some really insightful nuggets. Um I love the whole, like, look, see things from the balcony, not the basement. I love the whole, if you chase two rabbits, you'll catch none. Like, little, little things like that, I, I think, are, are really good. I think when you think about his background, you know, it's, you can read it on, a, on, a, on his wiki page, but, like, this dude is a grinder. Like, there, there's something that is admirable about, like, the whole anecdote of what happened with Hurricane Katrina and how he had to relocate and take care of those dudes. Like, that, that is a... Uh, those are the kinds of things that stick with you and help you and shape you and mold you, and you can kind of tell that that has helped him out. Um, but, man, I, I don't th – there was a lot of takeaways with this thing. I mean, I think uh, – I thought his answer to, you know, would he remain on staff regardless was interesting. You know, I wouldn't say he, he didn't come right out and, and say, oh, no question about it, I will. You know, I mean, I think he didn't necessarily – he didn't really – he didn't give you any indication either way, but I think maybe the easy answer would have been to like, oh, I hope I'm around for a long time. But he didn't necessarily say that. He said, I can move. I know how to make tough decisions. I'm going to do what's best for me. He's a guy with leverage. He's a guy that if you want to be considered a candidate for the job, you don't open the door to, oh, yeah, I'll be here no matter what. Like, right. Why would you do that? But it was you asked the question to see how he responds and his response of, We'll talk about it. We'll cross that bridge if we get to that. I'm not focused on it now. But then went on another minute about I'll talk to my family. I'll talk to my brothers. I've moved before. Like you said, moving ain't a very difficult thing for me to do. I've made tough decisions in my life. And then you ask, you know, what's the toughest decision you've right. ever made? And he had to think about it for about eight seconds. And it was forgiving his mom for him going to <laughs> making him go to Which Nebraska. is kind of interesting, though. You know, yeah, because yeah, that was like, one thing he did bring up in, you know, when he was talking about you're, you're at, you asked a good question at the end. Yes, a lot of great questions. But, you know, how good is the Nebraska job in 2022? And one of the things that he, you know, he called it a sleeping giant. Uh, people around us don't want it to wake up because everybody knows when we wake up, it's game over. Got the best fan base. Uh, you know, said national championship is still realistic. But then when he got into the to the nitty gritty of it, talked about how you got to be a national recruiter, but he also talked about how you got to find kids that can come and live in Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm. Like, I think that is as big of an issue when there, there was a great story by Max Olson, I believe, I think it was Max Olson, it was in The Athletic that, that referenced all of the transfers under Scott Frost. And I think one of the things that hurt Frost and those guys was they, they were national recruiters. They went out and got quote-unquote talent for relative to what Nebraska can go get. But you a part of vetting that talent is vetting which guys can come to Lincoln and survive in a different culture and a different environment. And th these are the things like Mickey understands that because Mickey came from New Orleans to 
go to school here. It's different for someone like Scott Frost, who's from Wood River, Nebraska. That he doesn't. It's like, why would this? Is, there's no culture shock here. This is easy. You know what I mean? Like, I think those are the little subtleties that Mickey understands that are really important. And the fact that you know maybe there was transfers because the head coach didn't know he had to keep recruiting his current players. Right. Right. Where Mickey Joseph has been all over. Like you said, that's how he got to Nebraska is from Louisiana. He didn't like it at first, and then now is thanking his mom over and over, so it took time, and that's going to have to be the case. You don't think he's having you know, continual conversations with a Trey Palmer, with mm-hmm. a DeColdest Crawford right. about living in Lincoln for a number of reasons? like that. That's why a guy like Mickey, whether he's the head coach or not, is just so important to keeping him on the staff and you do whatever it takes, whether it's finances, whether it's job title, if he's not the guy. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. The If you're going to – whatever they choose, and he said they should do a national yes. search. This merits a national search. It's a great job. It's a great program. And then said you have to understand the inner workings here. You have to know how this place works. And there's a lot you can read into that, but he said that, you know, that's the advantage I have is I get it. I understand it. And even though it had been years and years since he was really in Lincoln full time, he still gets it. A lot's right. changed, but a lot's remained the same. And a lot of things you have to you have to understand. And so that was interesting. And then I thought his like you said, the potential of the Nebraska job. And then the follow-up of the point blank, you can still win a national championship. Again, you don't anticipate a head coach going, no, I don't think so. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) That probably wouldn't be good. Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? But he elaborates going, there's no question. And you believe it when he says it. And that's why he needs to stay. Like, he's a great recruiter. He can get you to believe something that might not be true. Right. And, again, I don't think Nebraska's ever going to win another national title. I I think most people would agree with that. But you still have to believe it. Yeah. And, and he believes it. And whether or not he believes it's true or not doesn't matter. He's saying it, and it sounds like he does. And he loves this place so much that there's a lot, there's a lot baked into those answers that you just go, man, like, it's, he's an easy guy to root for. You hope they keep on winning. You hope the decision becomes challenging. And, frankly, even in the loss to Purdue – he added to the resume, did not get it taken away. It is a very unique situation for Trev. I thought Chattel hit it on the head with kind of the unique dynamic of like, Trev has to have a nation. He has to, he can't sit back and watch and go, well, let me see Mickey and see what he does. Like, no, you got to, you got to get on this because you need a coach in place basically right after Thanksgiving. So you can hit the ground running, but it's it's challenging because you got to do that, but you got to give Mickey a fair shake. Mickey is is making this decision tough for Trev, which I think is a good thing. Um, and they talk every week. Yep, he they, talks with Osborne and Alberts every week. There's a standing appointment, so you don't think you don't think these questions are being asked. Like, right. hey, what are you thinking? How's this going? They're, those guys aren't mincing words together. It's like, here we go, Mickey. Here's what I think. Here's what you're doing well. Here's what I'm thinking. Yes, I'm still searching. You know, whatever, whatever right. that's like. That those can't be awkward elephant in the room that you're ignoring about what the future holds for this program. And that's the thing, you know, when when you asked him about his relationship with Trev, he was like, well, we were teammates. That was the first thing he said. We were teammates, yeah, right, so right. we're friends. And I think that foundation to their relationship allows a level of honesty and transparency 
that can unfold, which I wouldn't be surprised. I, I wouldn't say Trev is in his office talking to Mickey like, yeah, so talk to Dave Aranda's agent. Yeah, right, right. And, you know, I'm, I don't think he's giving him that much, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's, he's maybe saying like, listen, I am, I'm reaching out to, he's, I, don't, I mean, I bet, I bet he's being as transparent as he can because he wants Mickey to know exactly where he stands. And Mickey probably appreciates that. I think it's hard to quantify. And in fact, you kind of pressed Mickey on it on like what he needs to do to keep the job. That's a hard thing to kind of sink your teeth into. I, I don't I don't really know what it is. The one thing that's so interesting though, and I wrote this down last night, is like one of the conversations me and you had was like, you know, did the whole Bo Polini, Bill Callahan analogy of like, what if Bo Pelini would have remained on staff and how what that would have done to the locker room because maybe some of the guys would have wanted Pelini. I think that conversation with Mickey, we were having it about the players. I think it'll be interesting. You can zoom out to the fans. Like, we talked about Mickey dividing a locker room with the players on, you know, like, the interesting thing is the fans and how much a lot of people want Mickey to be the guy. Like, if Trev's higher... Let's say he hires someone else, and that hire on paper isn't met with like unanimous, like, oh, wow, yes. Like, you wonder how the fans will react with the Mickey factor, you know? Like, I do think this fan base is ready to get behind this whoever this new coach is, but it's amazing how many fans, I think, really, really genuinely, sincerely want Mickey to get the job. Just in, it's Mickey's making this complicated, which is good, which is a good thing. For the moment. Trev's getting paid a lot of money to make this impending decision. And you, like we said, we want it to go one way or the other. It did with Frost and the firing. Will it go that way with Mickey and the hiring? I don't know, man. I don't, it's... Because you look at the rest of the schedule. Minnesota's banged up. Tanner Morgan, who knows how much, how much time he's going to be out. You've got an Illinois team coming in that is very good and might expose Nebraska. We'll see. But they're at home. Um, Nebraska is at home. At home. They're at you home. Know. That's right. I mean, the tough games are at home. You got a Wisconsin team that just yeah. lost in double overtime. All right. You go to an Iowa team that can't score. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Michigan, and which you, 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 you figure you get your teeth where, kicked in there, whatever. You know. you know, your lines of scrimmage are going to be exposed to the yeah. nth degree, and you're probably going to be a 24-point underdog. Right, and, and it might get ugly that game. But I don't think anyone anticipated otherwise. So you don't really have anything to lose there. So, And then you have the Matt Rule aspect of this where – when Matt Rule was hired at Baylor, he did not know the area. He hired folks that would help him locally. If Matt Rule were to get hired at Nebraska, I guarantee you he would keep Mickey Joseph, yes. and they would pay whatever it took to keep Mickey Joseph. Like, Matt Rule doesn't know it, doesn't get Nebraska probably. He will hire and keep people who do. And I think if you're on that staff, I think you want Matt Rule, right? Because I think you've seen that track record of, who he keeps, who he hires to help him with the lay of the land. You know, Matt, for, for some odd reason, if it's not Mickey, like my gut is like Matt rules at the top of the list. Like, Ooh, I, I think, okay. yeah, I think I've changed a little bit wow. um, where I think Leipold is right there with him, but the timing of it yeah, with rule who, you know, after that bitter taste in the NFL that he's had here, and he's going to get paid forty mil, and whether or not he wants to step back in, there are those who you read who say he's not going to want to sit out. Right. He's not going to want to sit out. He loves to do this. He likes to grind. He did it at Temple. Did it at Baylor, where I I would be stunned if there haven't been in depth conversations with intermediaries between Nebraska and Matt Rule to gauge that interest. And I'm fascinated <clears throat> to wow. see where that goes. Okay. He's got Big Ten ties. 
right? Was at Penn State uh, very early in his career. And um, I think the talent pool or the, the candidate pool is really deep this time around. And I think, I think Matt Rule's like 1A, 1B, or 1C okay. um, uh, up there. I think it'd be really – I think it'd be very compelling. So do we think it's Leipold, Aranda, and Rule? Like is that, that your 1A, 1B? That would be my gut reaction to right. it. Um, and then Matt Campbell somewhere in there. I think it was uh, – I, I, yeah. I think you got to be careful with guys like Aranda lost to West Virginia. His t- right, That game right. was bizarre. Leipold lost a couple Leipold of games. Leipold lost now. a couple like, games. We knew Matt, that was coming. Right. And Matt Campbell, I think – I want to say I saw Brett McMurphy was – they've lost four games by a total of 14 points. So – I think you got to be careful, Husker fans, and even Trev, and Trev knows this, like, just because a, a coach, like, if you think Matt Campbell's the guy, I'm just using him as an example. And I, I and forgive me for not including him as, like, the 1D. Like, yeah. there's that, that package of coaches right. where it's just really deep and really good. I just think you can't, don't, don't get paralyzed if Matt Campbell only wins six games this year. Right, right. Don't get paralyzed if Lance Leipold, who knows how, if his quarterback, uh, doesn't get back and and they they lose. I think they play. God, they, they play somebody tough again this week. Um, but don't maybe maybe Kansas sputters and only wins six games. Like if you think Leipold's the guy, hire him. Don't 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 be prisoner to the losses. You, does that make sense? Sure. Like yeah, you got to yeah. trust your gut on who you really think is the right person. And don't again, get distracted. Like he said, like Trev has said, I'm not trying to win the press conference. Right. He acknowledged that from the outset. Whoever I hire might not be the one that sweeps you off your feet. But this is a long haul. This is a marathon, not a sprint. This is about the marriage, not the wedding. There you go. Good line. I like that. Yes, right. So, so you know, you might walk into that wedding and go, this wasn't that great, but the marriage is awesome, yeah, right? So it's, all it's a 30, 40-year decision, not a four-minute decision. Agree. So, Agree. Um, so we'll see. Um, but anyway, hope you enjoyed the interview. I thought there was a lot of good stuff there. And uh, I thought Mickey was – we did it over Zoom, which helps. I was really grateful for. I didn't know we were. I'm wearing a T-shirt. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he You're pops shirtless. up. I'm like, whoa, okay, here we go. You were but shirtless. Look- he then took off his shirt to help you out, make you feel more comfortable. That's what was going on. Is that what was happening? <laughs> you know what happened when uh, – when I did take my shirt off, and then that's when the interview in, ended. Mickey saw me with my shirt off and said, Game over. Okay, that's it. <laughs> All right, let's do some polls let's here, do shall it. we? All right, quick time out to tell you about a brand new sponsor of the Chick and Nick podcast that we're excited about. Peerless Energy Systems. They're the leading American manufacturer of air compressors. And here's the thing, Chick. You may hear the name Peerless. And you may go, okay, I've, when you hear Peerless, what do you think of? What's the first thing you think of? The first thing I think of is former Buffalo Bills wide receiver Peerless Price, Boom. who was one of the better receivers we have had. I think it goes Andre Reid, <laughs> James Lofton, Peerless, Peerless Price. Price okay? baby. That's who I think about. Well, here's the thing. How about this little anecdote? The owner of Peerless Energy Systems, Ed McMorrow, was watching the 1998 Orange Bowl, Nebraska, Tennessee. And before right. he was a Buffalo Bill, Peerless Price was a Tennessee volunteer. Peerless Price was interviewed on the sidelines, was asked what his name meant, and he said it means, quote, without equal. That motto stuck with Ed, and when the company was launched in 1999, just one year later, he wanted to create a company that was without equal in the industry. So, boom, Peerless Energy Systems was born. That's really, really cool. That's, uh, that's, That's awesome. 
Peerless Energy Systems, established back in 1999. They are the Solaire Authorized Distributor for Nebraska and Iowa. Solaire is the leading American manufacturer of air compressors. They're located in Michigan City, Indiana, that's Chicagoland. They go to market via local distributors and make some of the best air compressors and ancillary compressed air equipment in the industry. So Peerless Energy Systems, their core values, reliable, dedicated, and responsive. Let me tell you something. One of the men responsible for and involved in Peerless Energy Systems, our buddy Josh. That's right. So we would say, Josh, remember, he and his son quoted the show at the Bar Mitzvah. He was at the live show. We always say, support those who support us. Josh is supporting the show. He's been an avid listener for years, he and his family. So support Peerless Energy Systems. Josh, I would say Peerless has the core values. I would say Josh has those too. He's reliable, he's dedicated, and he's responsive to the Chicken Dick Show. But with, with Peerless... Here's what you get with those three core values. They're locally owned and operated. They have certified compressed air auditors on staff. They have a large local dedicated rental department and 24-hour emergency response for service parts and rental equipment. It's what you get with Peerless Energy Systems. Target markets include manufacturing market, food processing, utilities, transportation, refineries, and even light industrial like body shops, car dealers, automotive, countertop makers, etc. So Peerless Energy Systems, for more information, Go to peerlessenergy.com. Support those who support us. Peerless Energy, proud sponsor of the Chicken Nick Show. Quick time out here from the Chicken Nick podcast to tell you about Go Currency. Does your business need easy, competitive financing for trucks or equipment? Currency is here to help. Currency specializes in finding the best available rates and terms for construction equipment, farm machinery, trucks, and trailers. In fact, customers can get loans for up to $500,000 with little or no money down and terms up to 72 months. Currency can also help if you're getting serious about buying a new or used motorhome, fifth wheel, or utility vehicle. All you got to do, just fill out an application and the currency finance team will get to work finding a lender with the most competitive options. It's quick, secure, and free to use. Currency is equipment financing made simple. Visit GoCurrency.com for details. Offers may vary and arranged by Express Tech Financing, LLC, DBA Currency, pursuant to CFL license. Our polls are brought to you by Aaron Schumacher. Uh, there is some discrepancy from some of her family members, at least one that has emailed in saying it might be Shoemaker. I'm like, you know what? We'll put out a no, poll weeks it's... from now. We'll figure this out. Okay. okay. I'm going to trust Aaron Schumacher knows how to pronounce her own name. But <laughs> who would you? What would you know, Nick Bahi? Nick Bahi. Aaron Schumacher with Nebraska Realty sets the gold standard in real estate. She provides these polls. She sponsors these polls. Uh, she began a real estate career back in 2007 and loves providing clients uh, knowledge to aid them in making the best real estate decisions on selling and or buying Omaha, Elkhorn, Gretna, Papillion, Springfield, Louisville, Bennington, Valley, Waterloo, and the Utan Peninsula. Text or call <laughs> 402-714-5539. Quickly to the polls before we end. What will you miss most about Matt Davison calling Nebraska football games? Him calling the games or the drops for the show? 95% said the drops for the show. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's a big blow to us. Yes! Did you get seasonal allergies listening to the Matt Davison tribute? 60% said no. Hmm. How dare you? Uh, take your pick. Lance Leipold slash Dave Aranda, Matt Rule, or Mickey Joseph. Mickey Joseph, 48%. Leipold Aranda, 42%. Matt Rule, 10%. 
Those polls closed last week. Uh, does Kevin Suits deserve legend status on the show? Eighty-four <laughs> percent said yes. Good, amazing what he did on his sports cast. Uh, can you see or hear the name Nick Hendrich and not think about the six hundred forty-four days drop? Eighty-one percent said no. I can't either. Mm. Would it have been the perfect goodbye for Matt Davison had Nebraska fumbled the victory formation and lost to Rutgers after Davison had already celebrated the win? 89% That That is one of the great... It's an alternate ending on the DVD box set you get if you buy the Matt Davison Nebraska DVD. It's an alternate ending. Play clock. Yeah. The game clock is moving. Did he fumble the snap on a victory formation? I think he did. What a way to go out. Amazing. What a way to go out. Amazing. And then... Uh, Finally, should Damon Benning shadow Matt Coatney for a day to learn how to properly do ad reads? Nothing. Ninety-three <laughs> percent said yes. Are we going to take it easy on DB for a while here? Do we got? I mean, I don't want to we'll have him, him get, like make we'll his maiden voyage wet. and then like do a bunch of drops with him. You know, I don't. I'll... We'll let him get his feet wet. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to say that I did ask, and I posted this. We asked last week if Matt Coatney could give us a clean nothing goes better with <laughs> Husker Sports, Nebraska football, and Fairbury because we needed a clean one. Yeah. He emailed us that following morning after it was posted. This was Tuesday morning. His email read, just for you all, see the attached coat. Coat, Wow. I love coat. Like, that's great. That is good. You got two syllables in your last name. We're shortening it to one all the time. Coat. What's up, coat? Baby Are you coats? ready? Yeah. Here we go. There's a bunch of takes here. We'll pick the best one. This is uh, Coatney here. All right. Just for you guys. Since you asked. <laughs> oh, wait. That's my best. No, keep it going. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here we go. All right. Just for you guys. Since you asked. Nothing goes better with Husker sports than Fairbury. Nothing goes better with Husker Sports than Fairbury. Nothing goes better with Husker Sports than Fairbury. All right. Hopefully one of those will work for you. Love your show. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Coat. Thanks, Coat. Coat, you're the best. Coat, you're that the is, man. That is great. So can we call him Coat? If he if he signs an email, Coat, we, that gives us the green light to call him Coat, right? Well, it works Perfectly for us, because now we can say don't sugarcoat it, and we're talking about him. Such a good point. This is perfect. This is all coming together. Dang right it is. Coat, thank you. Tyler, what do you think of Coat? I'm not happy about that. Chicken Nick. Yeah. Chicken Nick. Yeah. Chicken Nick Show. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. 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 Yes. Enjoy Thank your bye. Thank you. Go Big Red.